Hey everyone and welcome to the Darkcast. I'm your host Jonathan and this is DCI number 92. Today I'm joined by Brian as we talk to Chase Grosdina who is one of the two developers on Forge Quest, a top-down RPG set apart by its voxel-style graphics. It is Diablo meets Zelda uh, with a little bit of an art style from, from Minecraft. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed the episode. For more information about Forge Quest, head on over to DarkStation.com. There you can find videos and links to the Steam page. You can follow us on Twitter at DarkStation underscore com, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and send us an email at podcast at DarkStation dot com. Now, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode and on with the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Fantastic. Fantastic. Now, um, we are here to talk about Forge Quest, which is uh, a neat game that is currently in uh, early access. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about you. Let's talk about the, the man behind the, the curtain, as it were. What what do you do uh, at Open Realms? Um, well, I just about everything. I... I... I am mostly a software uh, developer by profession. Uh, at Open Realms, it's a two-man studio, so very, very small. Um, but I end up basically getting tasked with just about everything that I'm able to handle. Uh, I do sound effects, I'll do art, uh, I do a lot of the marketing, um, video editing for marketing, stuff like that. Uh, basically, anything that I'm able to take care of in-house, I will attempt to do. But my, um, my skill and my profession is in software design. Okay. So, so how exactly does that correlate to, to games in terms of, of software design? Is that like programming? What, what kind of is your, yes. your uh, nitty-gritty base... skill set? So my core skill set as far as programming is concerned is probably engine development. Um, I've been doing engine development for a number of years uh, in a different number of capacities, both uh, on my own as a hobby, uh, but also professionally for companies. Mm-hmm. Um it's always one of those where you know you, you work on the you work on them and uh, it only goes so far uh, with the number of the companies, uh, which I could probably get into a little bit later. Uh, but it's always fun. Uh, that's really where my passion lies. It's kind of the the core nitty gritty of um, you know the the graphics engines, uh, UI engines is one of the ones that I'm uh, very particular about. Um, I think the only thing I won't touch is audio. I'll leave that to the, the professionals. <laughs> nice. Uh, now you mentioned that you, you've done this for for other studios. Um, have you worked in the the games industry before? How, how did you get to be here at, at Open Realms making Forge Quest? Um, so for the most part, uh, I was in school and uh, doing the normal uh, education route uh, up until about two thousand eight. Uh, then I ended up moving off to a company in Chicago, uh, which I'll not name just because they're very small and I don't think they exist anymore. Um, but then I also uh, after that. I moved off to uh, Meteor Games in LA, uh, who they were, it's Adam and Donna, the owners, uh, they were the original ones who made Neopets. Um, A while back, they ended up selling it to MTV Viacom for a ridiculous amount of money. money. Um, And then they decided that they were going to make an MMO, 
Uh, so I was out there working for them for uh, about a year and a half. Um, unfortunately, that project never went through. Um, moving from there, I went off to uh, work for a friend who did uh, special effects design uh, in Cleveland. Um, and I was there for probably about two years. Uh, after that, I kind of decided that I want to get back into the game industry, uh, but not necessarily go back out to uh, a full-blown or full-blown studio. Uh, it kind of been a little bit of tiring. I, I blame some of that on uh, Los Angeles itself because there's way too many people out there. Um, but yeah, I decided to try to make it out of my own. So I've been uh, working on this game for about three years now, um, and yeah, that's this is where we are. Fantastic, fantastic. Now you said you went to to school for. Uh, computer science? Uh, yes. I uh, okay. went to school for computer science uh, at uh, Ohio State. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. So, um, it's you and who else is at uh, Open Realms? Uh, there's me and then there's Dave. Um, okay. He's also uh, software design by or software development by profession. Uh, he, did, he does a lot of stuff in uh, big data. Um, I know he works for uh, CAS currently, uh, which is uh, Chemical Abstracts out here in uh, Columbus, Ohio. So, okay. So, how did you guys get together and kind of you know create this uh, you know brainchild between Zelda and, and Minecraft that we've got going on here? <laughs> well, so for a long time, uh, we've known each other for a very long time. Um, but uh, since we we're both in the software profession world, um, when we were you know working our normal jobs we were building kind of these prototypes on the side and we didn't really have any intention for them. We were just kind of building them because they were neat and it was something we could uh, collaborate on. Mm-hmm. Um, and things kind of worked out that uh, at the end of my job up in uh, Cleveland, uh, we decided that, you know, we should actually try this at a full go. Uh, we'd done a, a number of small demos that we thought could uh, work out well. And uh, so, you know, heck, why not? Give it a shot. You know, if it doesn't work, then I'll, uh, you know, I can always get a, a job at a company again. Um, so we actually did a game before this uh, that failed, uh, which was called Open Realms, which is the name of the company, um, which is why we have that as a, a registered trademark, uh, or at least the, the copyright of the company. Um, and that completely failed. That was around the time that uh, Minecraft was you know, still not very well known, um, but we had kind of jumped on the whole uh, voxel uh, world-building sort of thing, and we were trying to do a... Uh, more of a uh, less of a game and more of a kind of community sort of second life meets Minecraft sort of game and uh, we worked on that for about a year it honestly like everything that we set out to build worked out fairly well uh, the problem is is that you know we we started as not really game designers we started as just software designers so you know we made a program and it worked exactly as we intended but once we actually got it out there to the public we realized that nobody really liked it they kind of got in there and they were like well this is neat and so but you know after 20 minutes i'm just bored and i don't ever want to come back to this game they weren't so, they, they, they weren't ready for it yet no no no, 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 no. <laughs> no nothing like that uh no it, admittedly we we missed the mark and uh that's a lesson that we had to take forward so um we took a lot of the engine and the um the technology that we had built for that game and we said okay well we want to move from here what's the lesson we learned and the lesson we learned is we need to make an actual game. We need to make something that has gameplay, that has fun. You know, we, before we were just doing technology, and now we needed to actually make an, an entertainment experience. Uh, so we decided with ForgeQuest, um, which really kind of came down to uh, the original idea of being sort of an old school Zelda meets you know uh, modern day roguelikes. 
Um, really, I think the the original intention was to try to make a roguelike that was um, that was accessible to people. I know a lot a lot of the older roguelikes. Uh, I know nowadays it's unfortunately you know I, I'm talking about three years ago, and there's many games that have come out in the past three years. Um, you know, Binding of Isaac and all that. Uh, you know, Spelunky, those sort of roguelike games, which have kind of started to redefine the genre. Uh, but that's kind of what we wanted to do ourselves, is we wanted to take um, the concept of a, a randomly generated uh, dungeon crawler, and we wanted to try to make that just a pretty experience, something that somebody can pick up and not necessarily feel... Um, I, I don't know. I, it's very daunting when you end up looking at kind of a lot of the traditional roguelikes and just the ASCII text versions, and, you know, there's there's no UI. Um, it's it, For a lot of people, it's, you know, it's hard to do it's hard to pick up it's one of those games that sometimes people fight with just uh the visuals you know there's a lot of fun content there but you have to kind of fight the visuals um so that's where we wanted to go from there and uh admittedly what we wanted originally when we started the project and where we are today is very different um but it's all kind of come together and uh, we're very happy with what we've made awesome very cool now i in preparation, uh, I looked at your, your website and everything, and I got down to the sponsors, and this is just one random question. How do you have Bleeping Computers as one of your sponsors? <laughs> and okay. that's a website I go to, you know, like, every day, but not, you know, in hopes of getting them to sponsor something. That just, I, I gotta know how that happened. <laughs> okay, so uh, we did originally have a Kickstarter for uh, the game. It was a Kickstarter, for, uh, I'm trying to remember the date. At least three years ago, I can tell you that. Um, I think it was 2011 when we did it, uh, right uh, at the end of 2011. I so. um, but uh, anyways, as one of our goals, uh, you know, back then Kickstarter was a very different beast, um, and we were asking for a very meager amount. Uh, I believe we're asking for like $7,000. Um, and what we did is we decided to say, hey, you know, we'll make some very high-tier um, uh, backs that people can actually have on there, and one of the ones that we had was just a corporate sponsorship. Um, someone could, you know, pay us a kind of a flat amount of money to work on the game, um, you know, to help support the project. But if it was at a certain tier, uh, we would basically advertise them in our game uh, on the front screen and on the website uh, to show that they supported the game itself. Okay. Um, and we had a number of people bite. Uh, all the people who were listed on there are basically people who um, who decided to go for that. Gotcha. Okay. Just that that just seems like a you know incredibly odd backer for a video game. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was it's always been one of the things because uh, you know out of all the sponsors there, we have you know uh, we have Tequila Studios and then we have like Dracogen and all of those are very game related. And then there's Bleeping Computer, which is the one that's you know the oddball in the right the, the makers of Combo Fix. God bless them. <laughs> um. <laughs> anyway, anyway, enough of that. Um, so let, let's let's get into the actual game. What what is uh, Forge Quest today? Um, because you, you said that it's changed a lot over the course of the you know the years that you've been working on it. But what is what is Forge Quest now? Uh, Forge Quest is uh, I like to consider it a rogue light. Uh, that's a term that's been thrown around, but it's uh, old school Zelda meets a dungeon crawling uh, roguelike. Um, it's a at, at heart it's an RPG uh, we have a story there's a dialogue uh, it's not like kind of the like it it is different from Spelunky and um, Binding of Isaac in the sense that you know you do have a character um, you do actually go through a dialogue there's people that you talk to 
Um, so we there's actually events going on in the world, uh, but at the end of the day, you have a number of dungeons that you need to get through, um, and the the reasoning for those dungeons uh, ended up being explained in the game. Um, the the world that we have set up here is basically that uh, it's that's that's a very hard one to describe. <laughs> I apologize. Um, so. In our world, it's a very lighthearted world. It is the world of Smoop, and or the land of Smoop. And it's Smoop or Shmoop? Uh, it is Shmoop. It, Shmoop, okay. Emphasis. Yeah, I apologize. That's so S-C-H-M-O-O-P? Yes, that right. is correct. Shmoop. Um, right. And in, in the land of Shmoop, uh, basically, a, a long time ago, there was... Um, uh, there were conflicts between heroes and villains, uh, like, you know, there always is. And for a long period of time, uh, the world was actually very good. Uh, you know, people tend to see that as a negative thing. It's like, oh, the world's at war, this is horrible. But honestly, for the economy, it was fantastic. There was lots of people to uh, to make products, both for the good side and the bad sides. Uh, you know, poison makers, uh, blacksmiths, spell makers, you know, wizards, all that sort of stuff. Everyone had jobs. It was fantastic. Uh, but what ended up happening is at one point in time, the heroes kind of won, and they beat up all the, uh, you know, the evildoers. And unfortunately, this kind of tanked the economy, because no one was left with anything to do. Uh, so what ended up happening is that the kingdom saw this as a problem, and they decided to say, hey, you know, let's actually regulate heroes and villains. Let's actually make a system for this, because we realize that the economy only works when there are people fighting each other. So that's what they did. Um, and you are basically a character who is a bit, in, a bit in the future from when that actually uh, got signed in. Um, and basically, you are a upstart adventurer who decides that they want to you know, leave their parents' house and go become a hero. So to become a hero, you have to start off in uh, the, the town, um, and you have to basically prove yourself to get your hero license uh, through the, uh, the Hero Bureau. Um, so these dungeons that you're actually going through are um, there are basically trials that you have to, to complete to show that you have what it takes to actually become a hero. Um, and then on top of so that... It's like, a, it's like a test to basically be licensed. Correct, yes. Okay. So you are not a hero going into this, you are just an adventurer, but uh, once you can, once you defeat all the dungeons, you will actually become and be labeled a, a hero, uh, which is really the, you know, the, the, char- the character's goal uh, for the entire game. Obviously, as you continue, as you go through the story, um, it is revealed that not everyone ends up liking the system and ends up getting um, uh, plays by the rules of the uh, the kingdom. And then you get, you know, our main villain, uh, Cluckins, who kind of introduces himself in the first dungeon. Um, the game itself plays out, as I said, uh, it's, it's a very weird uh, hybrid between kind of an old-school Zelda... Um, with a RPG, uh, it's it's real time. Um, you level up your character. Uh, you don't choose a class to start with. Uh, we do have a number of starting kits to kind of make the process a little bit more familiar for people. Um, but it is a classless system. Uh, we do have classes, but as you level up, you get points, and you can kind of spend them as you will. Uh, if you want to put a few points into wizard, you can do that. If you want to put a few points in a rogue, you can do that. Um, and then we have nine classes in total. Uh, there's three starting classes, and then two classes that spawn off of that after you've put so many points into it. Um, and as you level up, you can continue to put points down in one tree, or if you decide that you want powers or perks in another tree, you can go down that way. Uh, perks are things that basically modify your character in a very static way, uh, where it's just like, you know, every time you do melee damage, you get, 
you know, so so much plus percent to do. Um, or there's very interesting ones where, like, the mystic has an ability that uh, every so often, if you were about to die, it will actually uh, give you back 50% of your health, uh, kind of fading death. Um, and the abilities are really where a lot of the meat is. Um, that's basically your powers. You have uh, numbers one through eight on the keyboard or uh, wherever you like to map it onto your controller. Um, and those eat up either mana or rage, which are kind of our two complementary uh, sort of resource mana systems. Um, and those define a lot of how you actually interact in combat. So, okay. Okay. yeah. I... <laughs> nice. Very nice. I, I like classless systems. Um, so just a quick question. Um, does the kingdom dole out experience? Because I've always wondered why it takes so many actions, you know, you know, gaining so much experience, then boom, you level up. Which, if that's doled out by a kingdom, it makes total sense now. It's actually currency. The the experience is not currency in this particular game. Although, honestly, that sounds like a very interesting idea, and I wish I would have thought of that way beforehand. Uh, it, in the game, as it is written, experience is you know just a representation of something that you actually uh, get from you know killing monsters and continuing. Though in our world, uh, we um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, dis the Disgaea series. It's That's the a little second bit. time that we've been asked that, I think, in a row. <laughs> Just, this guy's a very fun game, uh, done by uh, I, NIC or NIS, I believe. Um, but I, I mention it because they have a very interesting sort of vibe, or um, the way that they end up representing their world is that they never really break the fourth wall, but what they like to do is they like to reference things about the game mechanics itself directly without trying to kind of, you know, mystify it, which a lot of, you know, a lot of games like Skyrim, it's, you know, they, or other, you know, sort of real life RPGs, they try to take the whole mechanics of the game and at least hide it behind, uh, you know, lore. Whereas in a game like um, Disgaea, they pretty much just talk about it directly, where it's just like, oh, I killed that monster, I got 100 experience points, and that's something one character would say to another character. And mm -hmm. that's kind of the style that we decided to take with this game as well. Okay. So. Kind of like when in Metal Gear Solid they tell you to do an action by pressing a button on the controller. Yeah, the funny part is they ne they, they but do never that. going that far. Yeah, they they never acknowledge that. Like they they do it, and it is completely or it is getting very close to breaking that fourth wall. But they never really acknowledge it, and honestly, you know, it ends up working out fairly well. So, sure, sure. <laughs> So you mentioned Cluckins is the the evil villain. That's yes. a great name for a villain as well. That that, that is. Yes. Uh, so Cluckins... does he have chicken powers or something? Oh, uh, he, what, what, he is a chicken. Going... <laughs> Even better. <laughs> yes. No, no, no. Our our our, our evil villain is a chicken. Uh, he is a very disgruntled chicken. Uh, who uh, I guess I don't want to spoil too much here. Um, essentially, he is a chicken who wanted he, he he has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder and it's because he wanted to become a hero but the only reason he couldn't become a hero is because there was no checkbox for chicken on the form oh he was a he was kicked by the system yes oh the, the bureaucracy got him that's like that's like them forgetting maleficent's you know like invitation and now you, you have no other choice but just to unleash hell on that kingdom. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Fantastic. Fan. 
fantastic. So, uh, real quick, just just for my own edification, are they are they like schmoopites? Um, are they they schmoopins? Like, what what does the citizenry refer to themselves as? I, I believe schmoopins is the uh, the schmoopins. Okay, the, the term that we've come to like the most. Nice. Um, it, do you ever? Uh, okay, uh, next uh, kind of off the wall question: Is there an actual forge? Yes. Uh, oh. Uh, oh god! Oh, that's that's a uh, that's opening a can of worms. Um, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I just thought I, you know it's in the title and all. We we got oh, time, so if yeah, you want to yeah. delve okay. into that can of worms, you're more than welcome right. to. So <laughs> the thing is that uh, coming from the start of this, uh, obviously, you know, I had mentioned in our previous project that ended up failing, and at the end of the day, it's like you know, I I'm a software developer, and I can you know talk software all day, and uh, I I love all of the different concepts, but you know, going into this project. Even though we had a better clue of where we were headed uh, from the last one, because we had failed and learned, um, I still did not really realize what it takes to be a game designer. And honestly, I think that's something that I'm still learning. I think that I'm a lot better now than I was, you know, four years ago. Um, but it's something that every day I'm, I'm still learning lessons. And so when we started this game, this game has gone through very several different variations. Uh, we've changed a lot of things. Uh, you know, we've been out in beta and having a, we've had a user base uh, since after the Kickstarter. And basically people have been playing the game, giving us feedback, and we've been kind of slowly chipping at it and uh, working just towards some game that we actually felt had, uh, you know, a purpose and had quality. Um, and with those lessons, you know, we added in systems, we took away other systems. Uh, and one of the things is that um, for from the very beginning, you know, the game was ForgeQuest. So the game is obviously about forging. Um, and we had a direct forge system in the game. Um, but we, we had this very naive design um, idea or, or mentality, which was what we did is we said, okay, we want to make an RPG. Sure. What does an RPG do? What are other popular RPGs out there, and how do they work? Um, and at the time, I think that's when uh, Diablo three was out. So that's we were kind of using that as our basis for some of the uh, our, our ideas. Hmm. Um, so we, we were looking at the forging, and we said, okay, well, you know, what is forging? How we want to make this game based around forging. So originally, with a game, uh, you know, you could go out and find trees, you could find rocks, and you could harvest them and then you would harvest them, and then you would go into uh, your inventory, which would have kind of an auto-forge in there, and you could find recipes, and you'd say, okay, I want to build this sword. And you'd build it, and you'd have it, and there you go. Um, and one of the things that we realized very early on with our player base is um, it, it lacked a sense of accomplishment from players. Um, just because they, they'd make items... But once you kind of got them, like, there was nowhere to go with the item. It's just like, okay, I got a sword. Sweet. Where do I go from here? I, I want something more. So we started playing around with it. Um, we went through several different revisions. Um, eventually, we got to the system where um, we just kind of had this generic resource, um, which was which is what we still have today. Um, but we had this generic resource, and we said, okay, cool, you can do this. Um, but we found that, you know, when players were exploring dungeons and killing monsters that they didn't really just like finding, you know, these resources off the monsters. It was like, you know, it's, it's great that I'm killing monsters and getting resources and XP, but, you know, I don't feel like there's something lacking about it. 
So what we did is we added in random item drops. We're like, okay, well, you know, let's say people can forge items, and forged items will be better than the stuff you can find on the ground, but we'll add some things to the ground. Um, We did that system, and, you know, the lesson that we learned from there was people actually liked finding items off of monsters much more than they liked um, crafting their own gear. Um, You know, some people still liked the crafting, and the crafting was still very important in our game because we made it balanced such that the crafting was more important. Um, But we realized that the two systems couldn't really coexist very well. And honestly, over the past two years, we really kind of struggled with that concept of how do you actually get random item drops and how do you get crafting and how do you make them play together? And because the issue is, is at the end of the day, one of them is going to be more powerful. Are, are the items that you find on the ground more powerful? Like, you know, maybe you get special items from bosses and that's the best item you can get in the game. Or are the best items you can get in the game from crafting? And with a game like an RPG, we found that it attracts a lot of sort of min-max players, people who only really want to do the thing that's that's going to be the best at the end of the day. And that ends up being a lot of the, the vocal um, community that talked to us. So, uh, and we realized that, you know, whatever we made more powerful that's what they cared about and they can completely care about or care less about the other thing um but we are also realized that random item drops actually made the game interesting um so after a long time of experimenting we ended up with this system where um the the way that the the system works currently is that you do find items and um those items actually are very very good um, but instead of actually being able to craft new items, which is, this is really where the, the divergence is, is that there is a crafting system in the game, but the crafting system is there only to serve the purpose to modify items that you currently have. Um, it's not there for actually making new items. Um, cause at the end of the day, we found that the two systems don't work very well. Um, so right now you defeat monsters, you find items and loot on the ground, and those you can find very powerful and interesting items. Um, But once you have those items, you can then spend resources that you gather uh, to enhance them. Uh, You can level them up, uh, you can add sockets to them, um, and then there's also runes in our game, which is the the main way of customizing uh, weapons, is that you find and level up runes that have different stats on them, um, and you have to do kind of a, a color socket matching um, for certain items to certain runes uh, to get those on there. Um, and admittedly, uh, the reason I say that, you know, it's kind of opening a can of worms is uh, for a while there, while we were still in early access, uh, we'd actually taken out the forge for a while. Um, oh. And the forge actually didn't exist in the game. And, you know, it's one of those that, uh, you know, some some people would say on the forums, it's like, hey, this game's called Forge Quest. I don't see any forging, and uh, it was it's about forging you into a hero. Oh yeah, well yeah, that's always the, that's the excuse I always said in my head. Uh, but we knew, we knew, we, we knew the game was called Forge Fest, and that, and we've had the name for so long that it was like you know we we had thoughts. It was like you know should we change the game or the name of the game? Just change it to you know the hero of a chicken, you know chicken's revenge, you know Cluckins Part Two. Cluckins I don't know. Revenge. When do we when do we find out that Cluckins is actually the hero? <laughs> I, I I can't spoil anything. Okay, all right, all right. Uh, if we find it out, I assume it's going to be at the end, so we'll just have to wait. Um. So no, I I mean it actually took us a very long time, and uh, the funny part is, uh, the system that we actually have currently, um, it, 
it's interesting as far as players player reactions to things um, because the system that we have currently isn't actually very different from when we didn't have a crafting system. Um, what we did in the game is we actually had um, so what we ended up doing is uh, the reason the crafting system came out is because uh, what we did is we actually decided to take the crafting system and we just integrated it into your normal inventory. Um, and the problem was is that when we actually took it away, like we had a forge item and you had to go to the forge to spend your resources and people liked that. People accepted that. But what we said is we said, well, this is really inconvenient. Wouldn't it be really nice if you could just do all the stuff from your inventory and you didn't have to come back to town to do it? And, you know, it sounded like a great idea. Nope. So we Oh, yeah, well, that's, <laughs> that's what happened, is we moved it into the inventory, and then people said, where's the crafting? It's gone. And it says, no, the crafting's still there. You just do it in your inventory. But people didn't get it. They, the, the whole flavor of crafting wasn't there, and, and people didn't see what we had as crafting. Um, and the funny part is what we have today is actually very similar to what we had just in the inventory, except the only difference is that we actually made it less convenient for people. We took it out of the inventory, we put it back into a crafting station that you actually have to go to, um, and then we scattered them across the dungeons such that you actually have to find them. Um, which is, honestly, is one of the biggest um, lessons that I, I think I've learned uh, as a game designer, is that making something convenient for people it, sometimes the actual gameplay and the things that are interesting are actually when you don't provide things to people immediately or making things convenient the harder you actually make them sometimes you can actually that makes the game more interesting and more dynamic uh and in, and in this case that was one of those uh those situations so yeah, those those people are crazy. Every time I play Dragon Age, I'm thinking if I could just combine this stuff and make a new weapon right here, that would be great. But apparently, oh, yeah? I'm in the minority. <laughs> well, actually, I mean, going back to our original uh, Open Realms game, is uh, you know at the time Forge Quest was, or not Forge Quest, but uh, Minecraft was really the only Minecraft like game out there, um, and we were trying to copy it, kind of like everybody else at the time. Um, and what we did is we said, oh, well, you know, why have to do all of this, uh, you know, mining and stuff like this? Well, this is a social game. You can just build blocks however much you like, and you don't actually have to go and get resources or stuff like that. And the, the thing is that people kind of like that, but it's very much playing a game with – it's very much like playing a game with cheat codes on. Is that, mm -hmm. you know, it's really fun for that first 20 minutes because it's like I can do anything I want and there's no, no challenges to stop me. But once there's no challenge anymore, it – you start to kind of realize that it's not fun and people get very bored very quickly. Um, which is honestly, I, I personally think that, you know, cheat codes in games, I, I try to stay away from them as hard as possible because they're very tempting to use, but I found every time that I've done them, they've always ruined the experience. Um, I, actually, I, it's probably one of the reasons why I've never beat Skyrim. Uh, cause there was this, there was this old, uh, there was this cheat on the, uh, Xbox game where you could go to, there was the guy who was, um, talking to like the the weird elder god in the frozen section um and basically he gave you a, a skill book that uh once you did the um his quest that basically yep. gave you one skill that you could get but the thing was is that there was this hack well not a hack but it was a bug in the game where you could actually swap it with books and a bookshelf and if you did so you could basically duplicate it and get it to activate multiple times um, and so I was like, oh, sweet, this is really awesome. And I, I spent time doing it, and I, I leveled up everything to, like, maximum. And then I did it, and I was like, oh, great. Well, I'm done with this game. 
Yep, that was the. Uh, I, I played it on the PlayStation, and they, that that same bug, and that was the very last trophy that I got. Um, it yeah. was like it was like getting something to like so many skills to a hundred or something, and I was like, all right, this is the bug. I'm gonna play through the game normally, and like the very last one, I was like, all right, I went to a bookshelf in like the uh, Wizard Tower, and I just sat there for like 20 minutes, just swapping it back and forth, got all the stuff up, and I was like, all right, I'm done. Put a yep. stamp on it, platinum trophy. Let's get out of here. <laughs> Didn't even take a didn't even take a shot from my archer with like a hundred percent skills. <laughs> nice, very nice. Well, obviously you're you're not going for something you know that easy, uh, given that this game is uh, yeah very inspired by by roguelites uh, or likes. Um, how roguelikey is it? Um, so we do have a hardcore mode. Um, which we provide to players. We, the thing was is that we didn't want to try to make... The problem is is that I, I like roguelikes, but I also understand the frustration of roguelikes and why some people aren't necessarily looking for that hardcore of an experience. So when we designed the game, we designed the game with the aspect of, okay, it's going to be a roguelike, but we're going to allow the people who want to play it as hardcore as hardcore and people who don't want to play as hardcore to not. Um, so we allow you it as a, as a hardcore option where... Uh, you can play the game, and if you die, you just die, and that's it. You have to start your character all over from the very beginning. Hmm. And honestly, because we have a storyline and uh, you know there's events that you have to go through, it's a very aggravating sort of thing, and it's it's very cutthroat if you uh, you decide to go down that road. Uh, but we find the majority of players uh, in our game prefer the uh, the non hardcore method, uh, which ends up being that if you you know you die, you basically just start back in town, and then you have to trek your way back out to the dungeon uh, to continue from where you last left. Uh, Is there any, like, lost loot or, you know, like, you lose gold or have to pay gold to come back? No, we're hey, we're extremely nice to players. Uh, we, we, they, we give them everything that they, they had before um, so they can just go back out there and, and resume their game. Pretty much it just gives them the inconvenience of the fact that they actually have to go back out there. Um, and in, uh, in multiplayer, uh, one of the things that we added, uh, which actually wasn't originally in the design, but once we added it, we liked it quite a bit, uh, which is we added the revive system um, so that if you're playing with multiple players and one person dies, uh, basically you can, they faint for a period of time, and you can go over and try to revive them, uh, which usually is a lot harder than it sounds, because if someone's dying, you're probably in the middle of combat where there's things that are you know, trying to kill everybody on screen. Uh, so, trying to actually spend you know, eight seconds reviving somebody is a lot longer uh, than one would expect. Um, so, so how does that kind of dungeon structure work? Is the entire dungeon um, procedurally generated when, when you go back to it after you go into town? Um, how, how does that kind of work? Is there just one dungeon that you're you're trying to get through, or are there, there are multiple no, ones? No, uh, the way that it's actually structured is that we have uh, four elemental dungeons. There's the Earth Dungeon, the Ice Dungeon, the Primal Dungeon, and the Fire Dungeon. Uh, each dungeon has two sections, uh, which are kind of similar in theme, but um, s- slightly different. Um, and we do this to kind of you know, make sure that the levels aren't feeling... Uh, you know, too boring after a while because you know after you, you go through so many floors of a similar uh, looking structure, you're just kind of like, all right, all right, I'm done with this. Let's move on. Um, and uh, so they are procedurally generated, um, and that's honestly probably took about the procedural generation of the game probably took the largest amount of time 
uh, that we did for this entire thing, uh, especially since we went through several iterations of it, like everything else. Because um, we're like, okay, we did this, great. We learned how it works. Well, but if we did this, now that we've learned all the lessons from the stuff that we've done, we could go back and change all this and make it better. And, <laughs> you know, honestly, that that's the story of this project is, hey, we can make this thing better. Let's go back and make it better. And then, you know, add, tack on a few months onto the project. Oh, uh, but no, it's uh, the the levels are all randomly generated. Uh, basically, there's uh, the structure of the game is that uh, there's a town, um, and then there uh, from the town spawns a wilderness area. Um, in that wilderness area, you have to discover and find where the dungeon is. Uh, you trek down through the dungeon. Uh, once you complete the dungeon, you return back to town uh, to show the bureau that you have actually completed it and, and show them the the, uh, the crest that you've recovered from the boss. Um, and then once you do, they grant you access to the next overworld section. Um, and then you have that for, for each of the dungeons. Um, both in the dungeons and the overworld sections, uh, there's, you know, random occurrences that you can find uh, of, you know, uh, there's NPCs and other stuff like that that, you know, allow you to uh, k- kind of mix up the experience a little bit, give you more than just kind of the uh, the bland, you know, here's an area with monsters, go fight. Um, but at the, at the core of it, it is, it is very much a, a dungeon crawler where, you know, you just need to get from the top of the dungeon to the bottom of the dungeon. And there's a whole lot of monsters in your way. Nice. Very nice. Um, going back to the, the co-op, uh, if your friend doesn't resurrect you, what happens? Um, well, if you your friend doesn't resurrect you, then that person just gets teleported back to town uh, like they normally would, or if they're a hardcore character, they just, you know, they end up going to, uh, we have a little netherworld section uh, where they just they go to the netherworld section and they're dead and they can't escape from there. Um, so is there any way if you do die can you get back to your your party can you get back to that same dungeon or um, or once you you die uh, whether hardcore or not you're you're kind of locked out of that no well okay so if you're a hardcore character you're you're locked out because right. you're hardcore and you die and you know there's no recovering from that um, if you're on a normal character um, you can absolutely get back to where your friends are. Um, all of the random generation is done. Um, it's basically when you start your character, uh, it generates the world at that point, uh, which sets the world completely in stone from there. Uh, so you once you once you die and you go back to town, uh, you can end up trekking your way back out to where your friends were. Um, and we also have a we have a portal system uh, where in dungeons you can end up discovering portals that kind of ease the uh, the travel time a bit. Uh, as there's a portal in town, and then every so many dungeon floors, there's a portal that you can discover, and everyone can see that list and just automatically teleport back and forth from those. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, that's super handy. Yeah. And I can see, especially, the, you know, depending upon how deep the dungeon is, and, you know, what it's... how you guys have made progress in it, like getting back there and making that part easy um, goes a long way. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean... Uh, it's it's taken us quite a bit to kind of you know fine tune and and do that all because originally you know we didn't have the portals and you know then we found it was like wow it's taking a long time to get back to the dungeon you know six floors in and it's just like all right you know and and really from a game design aspect it, it the biggest question that we always have to ask ourselves is like you know okay here's a game mechanic or here's a decision that we have to make you know is sure this is a punishment sure this is part of the game but does it actually add to the experience you know 
is it fun? Is it interesting that you have to walk back, you know, six empty dungeon floors to get back to where you were? And it's like, no, not really. You know, it's, it's punishment enough that the person has to go back to town and then they have to go to the portal and walk, you know, one or two floors. Um, we found that to be like, that's punishment enough for, for dying. Um, cause you still have to you know do that and then start back up from where you left off. Indeed. Indeed. So how does the, uh, the co-op work? Is it, uh, is there any sort of matchmaking? Is it you join by, by party? Does it scale? How, how does all that kind of... Um, okay, so uh, the game is it's co-op up to four players uh, simultaneously. Um, basically, one person decides that uh, they want to host a game, and they just select their character, and when they start the game, either they say, you know, I want to start in single player, or I want to host a game. Um, they can host a game either in private or public. Uh, if it's private, um, basically that just means that people on uh, their Steam friends list can say... Uh, hey, I'd like to join your game, or he can specifically invite people to their game, uh, and they can join in. Uh, if it's public, then it gets basically it gets listed to our uh, public server list, um, and then when you're in game, you can actually just take a look to see uh, who's currently in game at, at this point and has a public game up. Um, and as long as you're in the same difficulty as that person, you can you know join them just fine. Um, the uh, the multiplayer, um, it's there's no local co-op. Uh, it's just uh, networked play, um, and yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what else to explain there. <laughs> well, I think it sufficiently does it. Yeah. Um. So you guys are actually in. You're in early access right now, um, on Steam. Um, taking a look at the page, uh, you know the reviews for it are pretty stellar as far as what what what, uh, what people are enjoying. Um, what what have you kind of taken out of out of the early access part of this? Um, honestly, it's been since this project lasted three years. I mean, we've had a lot of uh, people come and go, people who are interested in the game uh, originally. Because I mean, we only got onto early access uh, a little over a year ago. Before then, we were just on our own website. We had forums. And uh, you get people who, you know, uh, come in and they, they like the game. They're like, hey, I really like this. I want to talk about it. And, you know, we'll talk to them and we'll, we'll they are sh- they'll share their experiences and give us information. Um, and, you, you know, we, we actually really like to use that. Uh, honest, honestly, we spend so much time developing on the game that sometimes it's, it's very hard for us to look at the game with a naive eye that a new player might be doing. Um, so we try to take a lot of that information to heart. Um, but the problem that you find is, you know, two weeks, you know, someone will play our game, and after about two weeks, you know, they'll they'll still play our game every now and then, but they kind of, like, they move off to whatever other games are currently on Steam and stuff like that. And, you know, so I think really from early access, uh, one of the best things that it's given us is a player base to really talk with. And not only that, but it also gives us a, uh, the, the community section of the pages uh, has been fantastic for us because anyone who owns the game can just immediately get to it and immediately start talking with us. Um, one of the things that, you know, I, I haven't spent too much time playing other early access titles on Steam, um, but one of the things that we really get, which I found odd at the beginning, but I, I guess I've just accepted it, is... Um, we, we try as best as we can to uh, reply to people on the forums. It's, if you put a, a, a post up on there, you know, we'll reply to you within a day. Um, and there's a lot of people who will kind of actually reply back and say thank you um, in the sense that 
I guess that they've gone to other early access games and, you know, they'll post about a bug or they'll post about ideas and, you know, they'll just never get a response back. You know, the developers will still be working on the game apparently, but, you know, they really just kind of ignore the community. And honestly, I, I found the community to be one of our, the biggest assets that, you know, just Steam and early access has given us. Um, just the amount of people who are looking at it and able to, you know, when there's something wrong, if we make a decision that's not correct, I mean, I like people to call us out on it. Um, now, there's certainly a line there. There's a lot of people who, who, you know, want this game to be an MMO that, you know, endless dungeons that last forever and levels that <laughs> always go and, you know, things that are completely unrealistic. We, we get that all the time. Um, but there's still, there's a, there's a lot of good information that, that can be gotten um, from, you know, just simply talking with the user base. And honestly, I think with the early access, that's, that's really what it's given us. Has there been any um, advice or cr critiques from the community that have been really key in kind of forming the game in the last year? Um, I mean, none that I can really speak of in particular. Uh, I mean, usually we find that the advice that we get that matters, or the ones that we actually try to heed the most, are the ones that are resounded by multiple people. Mm -hmm. Um. And because usually when hearing ideas, it, it's very knee jerk for me to be like, okay, what am I going to work on today? And I, I look on the forums and someone's like, oh, hey, this sword doesn't do enough damage. And I'm just like, I look at it and I'm like, okay, you know, I could modify the damage. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. I'll go ahead and do that. And then in the next release that, that, that updates and, you know, they're very happy that, you know, someone actually paid attention to them. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes with like larger features, especially when, you know, people don't necessarily realize sometimes how much work it takes to just make simple modifications. You know, some are very simple, like, you know, changing the damage of a sword, but other ones are, you know, much more difficult. And with those, we kind of have to just kind of, you know, let, we, we have to, when someone suggests something to us, we have to kind of let it sit. And uh, with that, again, like with larger features, uh, we have done a large number of changes. And really, that's kind of a collection of things that we've gotten back from the user base and just kind of once we hear some certain idea or concept kind of resounding through multiple people uh you know we kind of look at it and we say okay you know a number of people have told us that you know this system could be better if um and then we kind of look at it and we say okay well you know are they right and you know how how would that affect the game and how would that change the game because uh one of the biggest access aspects we found about changing the game is uh just changing one aspect is never the case. You change one thing and it completely changes the experience on a whole nother end. Um, and so a lot of the times we have to sit there and just kind of, you know, we, we, we like to listen to everybody. We, we gotta, we gotta weigh the opinions and say, okay, well, if we did this, this would be cool, but this might completely ruin the rest of the game, which is something we can't do. So therefore we can't do it. Um, I think probably the most important ones, at least recently that I can think of, um, her actually been some reviews that people have given us, um, not Steam reviews, but uh, just they'll go onto the forums and say, hey, I, I beat the game. Um, but particularly people who have actually went through the game through all of the difficulties. Uh, with the game currently, um, you start off, it's very much like Diablo 3 in the sense where you start off in normal difficulty, and once you beat the game, you can then continue on with your character on the next difficulty. And all of the monster levels are risen, and uh, we increase uh, the damage and the health of monsters. Uh, we also increase the, the chance of monster modifications. Um, and uh, there are there's a certain number of people, not everyone, but there's a certain number of people who like the game enough that they'll go through all five difficulties uh, all the way to the end. And we find that those people have a very 
unique uh, view of the game, um, opposed to people who you know have just played for through the first few dungeons. Um, I think the one biggest change that we made recently, um, a few updates ago, which was actually, it's it's been something that's kind of been on our minds for a long period of time, but it was very solidified uh, when we um, heard this review from uh, one of the uh, the users, is it was in relation to our, our mana system. Um, uh, originally, way back, uh, what we did is we had uh, two systems. We had a mana system, and we had a cooldown system. And, uh, like, Essentially, the spellcaster class had mana, and they would cast things using mana, and that's what they had. And then what we did is we had the warrior side, and the warrior side had just cooldown-based uh, abilities. They didn't have any um, you know, mana resources they had to worry about. Just They could click something, and after so much period of time, they could use it again. Um, but with the runes and the stat changes that we had on the game, we ended up realizing that uh, that couldn't work at all. Um, basically, people end up find, finding them. It's like, oh well, hey, if I stack this, you know, item cooldown, I can just make it such that these things have no cooldown, and now these are the most OP items in the game. Um, which was like, that's great and all. We, you definitely want to cater to people who want to make a certain experience for themselves, but we also still want to make the game challenging. Uh, so what we ended up doing is we 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 had eventually changed it to where there was mana and rage. Um, and with mana, it's like uh, you use mana, and to regain mana, you had to hold up your shield, uh, which was the primary way of doing it. With rage, we said, okay, well, rage is a different bar, but to regain rage, you had to use your the weapon. shield, right? No, you had to use no, your weapon. Okay. Oh, for, all right, all right, all right. For rage, that's fine. Um, because we the, we wanted to you know flavor separate the two classes, and we didn't want to make them absolutely the same. Um, but one of the things that we ended up realizing, there was a guy who, uh, he went through the entire game all the way from start to end, and he was like, you know, I played through the game, but I mainly played as a, um, as a warrior class because mana never seemed to work for me. You know, it always seemed like I needed too much mana, um, and I could never, like, it never regenerated fast enough. Now, the funny part is we ended up realizing that the guy didn't even know that you could regenerate with a shield. Uh, he, <laughs> he just said, he was like, oh, look, you know, I swing my sword, I gain rage, this thing makes sense, this is easiest, I'm just going to take the path of least resistance and go this direction. Um, what we ended up doing is, uh, and, and this was something that we kind of had in the back of our heads for a long time, but it, it certainly helped to have that player's perspective uh, let us know how he saw the game and what his experiences were. And, you know, some of the things that we ended up changing off of there is that in the current system, uh, both mana and rage both get regenerated off using your weapon, but it all depends on what type of weapon you're using. Uh, if you're using a magic weapon, you get mana, and if you're using a, uh, a non-magic weapon, you get rage. So you kind of have this uh, this build problem with your character, or not necessarily problem, but uh, choice, where it says, okay, I want to be using these types of abilities. Well, okay, that means I'm going to have to have a magic weapon on my character, or I'm going to use these abilities, and I only need these. Um, which we found out, you know, worked a lot better. It was a lot more convenient for people. A lot more people understood it. Um, and we moved on from there. So, yeah, I, I mean, to answer the question, I, I think the, the biggest thing that we end up, uh, well, yeah, I guess I guess I kind of described that there. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to come to awesome. a conclusion. It wasn't working. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's great. Uh, is, is there anything that um, has been kind of frustrating or that... Um, I don't know. Seems like it would be easier without 
uh, you know, hundreds and thousands of voices of people, um, you know, giving feedback? Um, honestly, to tell you the truth, I think the problem is uh, not too much feedback. It's actually not enough feedback. Um, sometimes we get people who, um, uh, and this is always the hardest one to understand, and, and I think we deal with this a little bit more in uh, in bugs than we do with uh, just the, the balance or the fun of the game, is uh, we'll get people uh, specifically who will uh, be like, hey, this thing doesn't work. And it's just like, okay, well, thank you for letting us know. And then I'll go and look into it and be like, okay, well, I can't reproduce it here, so there's obviously something bigger happening. And then we respond to the person, we're like, hey, what was it? And then they'll just never talk to us again. And it's just like, please, I want this information. I want to fix the game. There is something obviously happening, but you need to tell me. You need to get back in contact with me. Um, So, you know, we we try to definitely make the best of it. I've certainly started, uh, I think one of the best features that we ended up making was a crash report system where uh, once the game crashes, if it crashes, which at this point we, for the most part, have everything nailed down, uh, but it will basically submit their information to us uh, so we can actually contact them on Steam and just, I can kind of poke them with the dev account and be like, hey, I saw that your game just crashed like two minutes ago. Like, what were you doing during that time so I could try to fix this? Uh, which, what did you do to our game yeah. to make it crash? Which The funny part is you, you get a lot of surprised reactions from people because they were like, yeah, I was just playing this two minutes ago. And I was like, yeah, I just got your email in two minutes ago. I, I want to fix this. I am here to do this. This is my job. Um, but yeah, uh, honestly... Are you watching me? <laughs> what? Um, I think the biggest difficulty overall as far as just the game um, in general uh, has been... The fact that it's still been a very big learning experience for us, uh, because I'm even with everything I've learned, I'm still a better software designer than I am a game designer. Um, But also, it's been uh, probably the fact that we wrote our own engine for the game, um, opposed to using one of the solutions out there, uh, which has probably added the most amount of time onto the game than anything else. Hmm. It's fun though; like I love it. I I love engine design, but it takes forever. And anytime you want to implement something, uh, you have to do it all your own. So. <laughs> no easy fixes. It's like, oh, man, I got to build that. It's like, I can't search online how somebody else fixed this because I created this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> or it's just like, oh, hey, you know, it'd be really great if I could have a an object that was this shape that collided with an object of this shape. And it's like, yeah, it would. Go go figure it out. Go get a go get a collision book and you know see what they say about it. And uh, then you know it's like me the next. Now I love that sort of stuff. That's you know that's really my bread and butter. Uh, I'll spend an entire week just trying to figure out how you get two particular types of objects to collide with each other. Uh, but as far as trying to make a game and actually get it out there and get it to people, you know that can get a, get that can get in the way of things. Um, sure. Because honestly, as a game designer, and I, I think moving off from this project is, you know, we should be spending more time on making the game uh, than making the technology for the game. Even though I, I love the technology so much. Makes Wait, sense. Do you think with your next game that you'd be able to kind of utilize what you guys have made and and have that process go uh, not only a lot quicker but like a little easier? Um, or would you would you consider doing something like you know with something already made like Unity or or Unreal? I mean, those are the two ones that we're looking at right now. It, it all depends on what project we move off to from here. Uh, we have a collection of ideas of where we might want to go, um, and it probably is going to look like that. We'll probably just end up using Unity, um, which you know 
I, I certainly have to, you know, hold myself in with that because, uh, you know, I'd rather be using C++ and I'd rather be able to do all sorts of, you know, compiled uh, static or, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, crap. The term has been lost for me. Anyways, yeah, I, I, I'd rather just be using C++ than uh, C Sharp, but uh, looking into the, some of the stuff that Unity has put out recently, it's... Honestly, if if my goal is to make a game and to make it as fun as possible, probably just sticking with Unity and an engine that already does all of the technology and I just can focus 100% of my time on making the game fun and making the experience as best as I can, that's probably the what we're going to end up moving off to. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. I it it's certainly I mean, if uh, if we were a team of, you know, 10 plus people and we had the ability to have you know, two people just working on the engine, that'd be great, but, you know, with just me and another person, there's not enough hours in the day. <laughs> awesome. Well, Brian, do you have any more questions before we uh, jump into the end game? Uh, when are you, what are you guys um, aiming for as far as, like, a, a hard launch? Hard uh, launch, yeah. Actually, uh, next Friday, so the 20th. Oh, okay, rockin'. Yes, uh, we are. We are scrambling to get as much marketing material and as many bugs as we can humanly fix as possible. Uh, which at this point is only like one or two really obscure ones that like we have no clue how to reproduce yet. We will <laughs> yet. Um, but yes, uh, we plan on re- releasing on the twenty third as long as uh, everything goes well. All right. Well, then definitely thank you for talking to us tonight because uh, that's a you you know prime. Prime oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's important to do. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and we appreciate it. But uh, no, I, I'm good. I think we should start with the uh, end game. Yeah, you're all good, Jonathan. I'm good. Okay. Um, so we like to do we like to end our interviews with a little bit of a questionnaire. Uh, definitely focused focused more on you um, than on uh, uh, the you know the game itself or anything like that. Um, so we'll just get right to it. Um, question number one: um, Who is your favorite video game protagonist? Yeah, see, you guys said this one at the very beginning of the podcast, and now, I'm, but I didn't, I didn't give any it. thought to it. Uh, <laughs> no t- one ever does. Yeah, that's a it's tough okay. one. See, there's a there's a lot of protagonists that I like for a lot of very different reasons, but trying to come down to one particular one that I, I like. It's very hard. Um, honestly, I, so I don't think I can actually say who's my favorite. And okay, uh, but I, I I will say one that I think is probably I've had the most fun uh, going through their entire story, even though their story is a little weird. Um, it's actually the Saints Row main character who doesn't really necessarily have a name because when you the make boss. him yes. yeah, the boss yep. because the the evolution that they've had through the games for the boss and the fact that you've lived through them through all of these different experiences I feel a special connection to them especially with the, the particular version that I've made my character to look like um, and, what, what was your version? Uh, I use the, the Russian girl's voice Okay. Um, and she has like a scar over her eye, and uh, she was she's just dressed in like a like right now I'm going through four, and she's dressed in a, in a like a, a matrix cloak or whatever. And, nice. But uh, yeah, no, I, lady. 
I, I I don't know why. Like when I when I imagine that game and I imagine the main character, I always imagine the, the Russian uh, girl's voice. And uh, the fact is, I, I really like the game in the sense that uh, they they allow you to customize your character and give it kind of whatever voice you like. But the there is actually story involving the character, and the character actually does evolve and have emotions and talks back and forth with people. And at the end of the day, I, I think that's probably one of the ones that I've recognized the most as far as a. Uh, a a protagonist or main character in a video game. Awesome. Yeah, that absolutely counts, uh, for sure. Um, flipping the coin, question number two, who's your favorite antagonist? Ugh. I like this question more. I, I mean... Because <laughs> now you have to consider the bad guys. Yeah. My, my initial reaction was going to just be like, I was just going to shout out like Psycho Mantis, but... <laughs> but hey, you know, as long as you switch your controller to port two, you're fine. Yeah, yeah. I, I, honestly, I, I, I think I, I just immediately thought of that because uh, there's a fond place in my heart for Psycho Mantis. Yep. Uh, I, I certainly don't think it's my favorite, though. Uh, that's a hard one. I'll take the first one that came to your mind. That's that, fine. That Psycho works, Mantis yeah. is not a bad pick, yeah. right, and if that's right. the one that your that your heart leaps to, yeah. And, uh, I, I, without further thought, I will say Psycho Mantis. Psycho Mantis. Okay. Question number three: um, Is there any um, uh, uh, trends in video games today that that you think are are not prolific enough that need to that need to grow and be expanded upon? Anything good in the system that's working that just needs to get out there and and, and grow? Uh, that's rough. I mean, there's a lot of really good people out there with really good ideas. Um, so. The problem is, is that anytime someone's actually come up with a good game, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen someone come up with a good idea for a game that hasn't gone unrecognized. Because um, I think that people generally tend to see the quality of something that somebody made. I, I, I don't think that we're in a world where you know there's artists out there who are not understood and making games that you know no one will ever get until you know years down the road. Uh, going back to you know earlier comments. <laughs> um, Honestly, I, I think that people out there who are making there's a lot of people making great innovative uh, indie games. Uh, you know, certain genres and titles that you know is not really that well explored. But honestly, I think that they're get, they're getting a, a decent amount of attention and they're getting the praise that they really should for that type of thing. Um, I think that anything else is just uh, it's I, I to kind of flip it on the other side. Uh, I I think honestly, what I believe more is that there's more people who are willing to kind of fall into kind of the trap of making what's expected uh, than going the other way around. Um, and that's a hard one to juggle, especially as an indie developer. Yeah, absolutely. And you're actually the second person who's managed to to trump question four, which was, you know, something that you'd like to see go away. Um, and and you, it definitely sounds like that that kind of trap of, uh, of, of kind of getting stuck down that road uh, is one of those. So is that, is that question four then? It's question four, yeah. Would you like to? You what kind of trope or trend would you like to see just go away completely? Um. I well, okay. First thing, I just like to see mobile games go away. Just all in general. Um, all yep, yeah, just done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just any any mobile game. Because honestly, we're we're getting this weird flood, especially with the way that Steam is letting games just kind of uh, go on to uh, the platform now without any curation. Uh, we're getting this flood of people who are making games. They're like, oh, hey, I want to make a game for mobile, and I want to make a game for for PC. And so they use a, a, an engine like Unity, which is capable of doing that. Uh, but the problem is, is that you get this game that is not, like, 
it's this weird hybrid where it's like it's not really a mobile game because it's a little bit more hardcore but it's like it's not really a pc game because like you can just tell by looking at like the interface and like some of the characters i I definitely think that people who are shooting towards mobile they have this weird idea that everything needs to be sort of like tunified to a sense um and it's just one of those where like every time that i see one of these new games come up on steam where it's just like oh hey this new game that came out and it's just like oh yeah it's a mobile port and it's just like oh oh yeah yeah yeah, it's like a turn off like right away yeah i don't want to play that game anymore because really i mean at the end of the day it's like the pc is such this great medium and like the keyboard and mouse gives you so much control but when these games get ported over that that's really the big deal is that they have to make the they, when you do that you have to make the game for the lowest common denominator which is going to be the touch interface um so when they move it over to pc it's like you you kind of get this like sort of it, it only feels like it was sort of made for you um where it's just like you know i'd rather just have that game on on there and this over here um, though I, I almost have a, a second answer to this question, uh, uh, which is I think one of the biggest things that I think that we're starting to do now, but I, I would still like to see more get away from, is that um, because our game is uh, voxel art style, uh, where all the characters are built of little tiny blocks and such, um, really, really early on in the game, we got a lot of people, a lot of negative comments from people who are like, oh, this is just Minecraft. Because uh, what they would do is they would just look at the style and they said, oh, look, 3D blocks. 3D blocks means Minecraft. You are Minecraft. Mm-hmm. You know, completely disregarding that it's a top-down RPG that has no world building. Um, it is just a dungeon crawler. But we got And the problem is, is like, I think we're finally starting to move away from that because more people are starting to use the voxel style as just an art style than it is, you know, a, uh, a particular type of game. Um, and I, I would like to see that kind of continue to move in that direction where people finally are starting to realize where uh, that the voxel art style is just an art style in its own form. It's, it is pixel art. It is 3D pixel art. And, you know, for us uh, developers, especially me who, you know, has to end up, you know, doing all the art assets myself, um, it's, you know, that sort of stuff works out very well for us because it's very easy for us to do. Um, and you know, I don't have to pay thousands of dollars for a you know a three D artist to to make other stuff. So, yeah, I, I definitely think that uh, moving forward, I'd like to see less people kind of automatically assume that games with uh, with voxels have to be a world building game that have to be um, a Minecraft that they can be other genres of games. It, it doesn't have to fall into that that trope or uh, that sort of stereotype of that's what those games are, or at least what that's what they think they are. Indeed. Totally. The next question, um, you know, you've you've stated many times how you enjoyed making uh uh you know, doing the kind of the the engine part of things, uh, you know, making games, you're getting into that. Um is there any other like out there profession that you would love to try at some point? Um should uh, should you obviously be super successful at the game thing? Ooh. Uh that's an interesting question. I think the only other... If if I was, like, you know, super successful and got lots of money and didn't have to worry about game development, I, honestly, to tell you the truth, I'd probably still be making games. Uh, but if I if I couldn't do that, honestly, I, you know, falconeering has always interested me. Um, I, I find it... Uh, I find the, the aspect of it uh, interesting. I mean, it's more of a sport than it is a profession. Um, but... 
I don't know. I, I think that if I didn't have to worry about money or time or anything like that, that would certainly be something that I'd go after. You could be a professional falconer. That sounds yeah. – so, you know, I, I wouldn't want like an amateur just doing it. You're going to have a crazy bird. You know, you'd be professional at it. Well, you can be professional, but I don't necessarily think you can make money at it in that sense. I, I don't think no. there's really like people out there hiring – I, the only the only instance I've heard of people hiring falconeers is like when they need to clear off uh, like birds from like airplane runways and stuff like that. Well, you know, there's there's got to be a first. So. <laughs> you strap a GoPro to that bird, and suddenly you've got live television. Oh, that's true. Oh. <laughs> the, that's the probably NFL... a horrible idea, dude. Don't do that. Don't. <laughs> the don't the do NFL that. like never before. You have two falconeers. It's, you know, standing up at either side of the stadium, and they, the bird just swoops in between the two of them. I could see that. But, it, yeah, but see, now we're just going towards, uh, now we just have, like, the little, uh, like, quadcopters and stuff like that. Yeah, that's true. And I can just, yeah. So they, now now I just need to find a way to catch small animals like falconeering, but with a quadcopter. Yes. Hmm. It, it bringing hunting onto a new level. And that's sure eventually that's... how Skynet takes over. And... Yes, yes, very much so. It first trains by tracking birds. Yep. Then it tracks humans. Then humans. Because yeah. we're so like birds. Uh, but that brings <laughs> us to our to our next question, um, which is always kind of nebulous in, in my building of it. Um, but I think I've got I think I've got a good one this time, um, which is less um, death and dangerous and more kind of cool and crazy. Um, so uh, you are. Uh, visited by Doctor Who and offered a one-time um, trip to uh, the Universe's Video Game Museum um, in which, out of all the games that have been made up to your point, you can play any one of them once. You get We get to choose one. What game would you play? This is a game that's already created right now. It's already been created because I, I can't, I can't look into the future unfortunately and tell you what's going to be there. So you are you are unfortunately I, hard I locked to our time. In, in, in this in this hypothetical situation, why can't I just go play that game right now? You could, but this is like I mean I'm talking everything is available. Like that, sure, that game may have been lost to the end. So <laughs> we might not have a copy of it anymore. Right. Doctor Who does. It's in this museum. All they got to do is click a key and it comes up. Honestly, I'd probably have to say Galaga. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 there's a fondness in my heart for Galaga. And uh, I, I think that, especially if I was with Doctor Who, that would be probably the appropriate game for me to be playing. That, that would be fine. <laughs> I'm sure he'd appreciate the lack of running, so that's, you know, it's always a good time to, to, to pause and, and hang out. No, Galaga definitely works. Yeah. Uh, final question. Um, at the end of our lives, uh, when we come to the gates of the Mushroom Kingdom and Toad is waiting with the Book of Our Deeds, what would you like him to say to you before he lets you in? I mean, the, the obvious response is the princess is in another castle, right? It is, but that response is no longer accepted. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right, all right. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it totally does. Totally does. 
the, the thing that comes to mind, and honestly, I think what I would probably get a, a laugh out of, because honestly, I'm, I'm certainly not too serious about all of this, is uh, there. there's a particular... It, I'm assuming you guys have uh, listened to at least some of the Game Grumps sort of stuff uh, with Ego Raptor and such. Yeah. Uh, th- there's a particular voice that Ego Raptor uh, has for Toad, uh, where he says hello in probably the most annoying voice possible and I think that is if I heard that I would just crack up and be, you just lose be it fine. Yeah. like oh my god you actually do speak <laughs> like this yes I, I would 100% I'd just be like alright alright this was really morbid but I'm cool now yeah no for real that's your voice that's, a... <laughs> that's awesome nice. alright well well done uh, that's the end of our uh, of our little questionnaire uh, I, I will say you passed. You didn't win anything because I don't really have anything else to offer. Um, but I, you did it. So congratulations. Yeah. Um, Jonathan, take us home. Well, Chase, thank you so much for joining us on the Darkcast. Um, and, uh, yeah, if you could just send us out by letting our listeners know where they can go to find out more information about ForgeQuest. Sure. Uh, you can go to our website. It's ForgeQuestRPG.com. You can search for us on Steam by ForgeQuest, or you can uh, see our Twitter handle at ForgeQuestRPG. Fantastic. Thank you again, and good luck with the uh, the upcoming launch of the game. I uh, wish you the, the, the best of luck as you continue going forward into... Uh, as you uh, forge ahead. <laughs> Thank you very much. 